Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I'm Elaine. I'm Diane. You just get the two of us today. We are not just. No, you get the the two two of us us today. I think it's sometimes more fun when it's just us. And I love our guests and we always have such interesting stuff, but I love the opportunity to just kind of talk with you about what we've been hearing from parents. And, you know, it's just, I always learn something and I, I think you probably do too, but. I don't know if I ever told you this. I have a client in the UK who every couple of weeks will write me and say, okay, what's this week's theme? Cause I told her once that we tend to notice themes as we're, you know, like the theme of the week is, and this is what I keep talking about with all my clients. So she started writing me every week saying, what's the theme? What's the theme? <laughs> well, and it's funny you say that because like, I know when like more than one of my clients shows up with the same sort of thing, I'm like, exactly. okay, wait, this is no longer for them. This is for me, right? Or it's for the universe. <laughs> or for or the universe. For the, for the collective and it's for the universe. Right? Yeah. And very often, I think in our world, it's like, okay, if this is coming up again and again, that means lots of parents are dealing with this. Right. And it needs our attention because it was, when we put attention on it, it elevates what other people are paying attention to. Right? Well, and I want to reiterate, Elaine, you and I are parents and we still deal with this <laughs> crap all day, every day, right? Both professionally and then personally. And so we don't want anybody to think that we've got this parenting thing nailed, although we definitely are further on our path because we've been not further on our path in a different place on our path because we've been doing this for a long time. And we still have all kinds of fun and adventurous things that happen with our kids as well. Well, I think that's the nature of having complex kids. You know, I, I often say complex kids become complex young adults. <laughs> They're they so complicated. Do. And now, we, now we've got what? We've got seven. Wait, you've got four. I've got three. We've got seven complex. Now I've got four. Adults. Yeah. I've got, yeah, I don't even know yeah. the fourth one. I have a fourth one that I'm not sure if she's uh, complex or not. Complex we'll have to figure not. it out. <laughs> All right. So anyway, today we're going to pull back to 30,000 feet because we often spend a lot of time working with you guys, problem solving on specific issues. You know, maybe it's school refusal. Maybe it's kids who are cutting or exploring dangerous behaviors. Maybe they're acting out or experimenting with with substances or I mean, there's so many different ways that our kids can put themselves at risk on top of <laughs> the risks they already have from being who they well, are. Well, but wait, let's let's say it out loud. We're talking about risky behaviors today. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think risky behaviors show up in all kinds of different ways. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, for some parents, risky behaviors are kids who are gaming all night and not going to sleep. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, so, or refusing school or eating disorders or, you know, or lying, lying or, or lying, being or- like lying and stealing. I mean, I, I think that when I think about a risky behavior, it's something that kind of bumps up against either a fear or a high value for us. It's like, I think about something that seems as simple as lying or stealing, right? It's a sort of that on a continuum that might be like on one end of the spectrum, but a lot of us have really strong values around. We have to be completely honest when my kid can't tell me the truth about whether their homework is done. I start getting anxious that they're going to become, you know, a, a pathological Homeless, liar. Right? <laughs> um, or if <laughs> they're stealing money, it was funny. We were talking in a small group the other day about stealing money. And I had this really solid recollection of stealing quarters, maybe like one or two a month from my dad. You know, he had this beautiful, big, coin jar on his dresser. And I would go in there and like sneak a quarter every once in a while and probably take it to the penny candy store or something else. But it's like, we have kids who are parents that are dealing with kids that are stealing big stuff, bigger stuff, you know, sometimes, right. I did yeah. the same thing, by the way, only it was the, it was the ice cream truck. <laughs> oh, you would use it for the ice cream truck. Yeah. I yeah. didn't live in a place where we had an ice cream truck, but I would have truck. if I had. Right. Okay, so when we look at the big issues, and, and you know, the most extreme, obviously, is is suicidal ideation and and violent behaviors of various subtypes, and you know, the most mundane is you know stealing a couple of quarters from from the purse, and yeah. there's everything in between. And you know, one of the things I I want to say clearly, I was having a conversation on a podcast with somebody else about it recently, is that when I was a teenager and I was undiagnosed and flying very much under the radar, I was engaged in, in using substances and I was really sexually promiscuous. Yeah. And that was a manifestation of my ADHD in a way that I had no way of understanding. My parents didn't know, but when I look back on it, it's very clear that that's what I was doing. I was seeking stimulation, right? Seeking input. Right. Right. Well, so let's go back and talk about that because I think that there's a, a, some misinformation and some good information about risky behaviors, um, particularly in the ADHD population and about when these kids are at risk, when they're not at risk. I mean, I think that unmanaged ADHD, and I'm sure it's true with other diagnoses that we deal with, these kids are more likely to have at-risk behavior. They're more likely to be sexually promiscuous. They're more likely to get pregnant. They're more likely to use substances, those sorts of things. And so, and if they are managed, what's, so what's the difference? It's like, if they're managing their diagnosis, Elaine, this statistic is different, correct? It's just significantly different. And I don't know what the, I can't tell you, quote you what numbers are, but, you know, I was talking to a mom today who said her 25 year old was saying he wants more self-control. And what I said was what he's really looking for is self-regulation and self-management. When we use the term, I want more self-control, we, there's almost a pejorative connotation to it. There's almost a blame or shame of I should be better, but I'm not if I just had more discipline. And what we're really talking about is conscious self-management and conscious self-regulation. Well, and here's the other thing. It's like, so when we talk about these kids and the challenges they have, a lot of parents will be like, well, but I can't get them to take my ADHD, their ADHD meds, or I can't take them to take anxiety meds. Or, I mean, I've got a kid in both of those kinds of situations right now. And it's, 
you getting help for you, let's, let's remember this, like parent training and behavior management is part of recommended treatment. And so if you're getting support for yourself, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever you're, you are listening Your to this, is. yeah, that you, and you are actively working on things to try to help your kid to begin to manage, whether they're on ADHD meds, whether they're on anxiety meds, whether they're managing it themselves yet, the fact that you're getting help and you're figuring out how to effectively engage with them you're moving the needle, right? So I, I want to kind of let you off the hook. If you're here, the statistic has already dropped. You know, the, your child's risk level has gone down because you're here listening and trying to find a way to engage with your kids differently than you have been. Does that, I just kind of want to give everybody a, a breath for a second. You know, I'll take the breath and I'll say, when you apply what you learn. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I sent you something over the weekend about that distinction between you know, an insight is just information until we apply action to it, till we do something with it. So there's what we understand differently. And then there's what we do based on that. Well, and it's interesting, as you say that what's coming up with this population specifically. So let's talk about suicidal ideation. Let's talk about cutting. Let's talk about some of these at-risk behaviors. If you've got a kid with ADHD or anxiety or depression, and they're doing, and they have had a history of that. I think, you know, both of us have that in our families. Our tendency as parents to, I'm going to use the word push, but to insert ourselves into their process changes because we get afraid, right? It's a sort of, oh my gosh, if I try to, you know, push too hard with my kid, or if I say the wrong thing, or if I don't do this, or if I do do that, somehow we're going to push our kids over the edge. And parents get really scared about that sort of stuff. Well, so this came up a lot in in my group coaching calls, the last coaching groups for young adults and for the older kids. There's this fine line we're constantly dancing, I think, as parents between our job is to keep them safe. And as they begin to individuate and become separate individuals, we can't control it anymore. What we can do is stay in connection and stay in relationship because that's where we can have influence. Yeah. So I had a mom last week and she was talking about the fact she was trying to step back and she said, okay, I'm going to step back unless their life or their health is in, mm-hmm. in play. Right. And it's just sort of, and even that, right. It's just sort of, if you've got a 16 year old who's not getting nine and a half hours of sleep every night, and I don't know about you, but nobody in my family gets nine and a half hours of sleep. Yeah. I get that much sleep. I've worked really hard at that, but you know, it, yes, their health is in danger. Yes. You know, yes, there is research that shows if kids don't get enough sleep, blah, blah, blah. And our ability to actually control whether our kids sleep really does change as they get older. I mean, it's, it's hard to, you can't force somebody to sleep. I mean, you really can't. No, um, you can't force somebody to do almost anything at a certain right. point. And that's the right. hard thing. It is so, it's so hard. And so the term that I would use in, is invite. We can welcome them. We can invite them. We can encourage them. We can inspire them, right? But we have that tendency to go with this fear-based, from this fear-based place, whether it's our anxiety or their anxiety or both, that just kind of adds, adds insult to injury. Well, and just kind of playing on that sleep thing, and it's the same with any of these behaviors, you know, you plant the seed, you do the breadcrumbs, you have the conversations, you express the value. And at some point, a lot of times they'll grab a hold of it. I mean, my, my night owl, my, my kiddo who would sometimes get one or two hours of sleep and then try to go to work the next morning or try to go to school the next morning, finally has said, you know what, mom, I think I need to start unplugging. I need some sleep. <laughs> I need more sleep. <laughs> I, is actually counting the number of hours that they're getting sleep. I mean, all that sort of thing. And so 
you know, keep at this. It may take more than a month to figure it out. It may take, honestly, a couple of years. years. (laughs) Um, And don't worry so much about it and don't put your head in the sand about it. I mean, we tend to, this is the thing, when we go into these fearful sorts of things, we either tend to get hypervigilant or we tend to get avoidant. It's like a sort of, oh my gosh, I don't want to talk about this because maybe I'll put ideas in their head or I don't want to talk about this because maybe whatever, right? Or I've got to control everything in their lives. And so parenting is about that balancing act between involvement and supporting and allowing. And I mean, I'm thinking about back to the four roles of the parent. I mean, when our kid's life is in danger or we perceive that our kid's life is in danger, we want to go to director mode. We want to be like, okay, all hands on deck. We're fixing this and this can't happen. And it's hard. Again, I'm going to say it's hard. This is hard. So here's what I'm hearing. If we pull back and we really want to pull back to 20, 30,000 feet and say, okay, if we're dealing with kids who are expressing any kind of risky behaviors, wherever they are on the spectrum, what's our role in that? Mm -hmm. It's going to be different if your kids are 10 and over under than if your kids are 11 and older. And so, you know, when they're 10 and older, 10 and younger, our job may be more to create a, a healthier environment to really put more parameters and structures in place to foster it. Once they're 11 and older, 12 and older, something like that, it really comes down to if our job is to foster their agency and autonomy, then how do we be in relationship with them in a way that invites them to make better and better decisions? Mm -hmm. And to know that sometimes they're not going to make the best decisions, right? I used to say to my son, especially, um, do stupid smart. Look, you're 16. You're probably going to do stupid stuff, but let's at least do stupid smart, (laughs) Right. I started with the assumption that at 16, 18, you're going to you're not always going to make the smartest decisions, but let's do it in a smart way. And that concept of acknowledging that he wasn't always going to do what I thought he should do, but I wanted him to be mindful of like the larger context of what he was doing. So if we look at our role in the process and we talk a lot about, you know, so much happens in that space of collaboration what are the things that, that we can do when we're worried about our kids? And what you just said, Diane, a little bit ago was so critical. It's like, if, if it's not coming about our fear, if we put our attention over there on them, what do they need? Let's ask that question. When we know we have kids who are exhibiting risky behaviors, what do they need from us? Well, and I'm going to kind of go in at a different direction, which is what is it that's going on underneath it, right? It's this sort of the being curious and saying, what's going on underneath this risky behavior? Is it about them wanting to express more agency? Is it about them feeling like they don't have control over their life? I mean, look at the research around eating disorders and some of these other sorts of things. It's cutting is another one where it's like, I can't control all this stuff that's going on. I don't know how to fix what's going on with my ADHD, my anxiety, my autism. And so I'm like, solving that by taking control over some aspect of my life in a different way. Or I'm feeling numb in the outside world. And so this is a way for me to feel something. That's often another explanation. Okay. So what you're saying then is step one, or is once we know that the change we want to see, Yep. you know, to reduce risk. Get curious. Step two, our, let's go back to the model. model. The model Always back to it? the model. Is get curious, right? right. Understand the, the issue underneath the issue. There's always an issue under the issue, under the issue, right? If we can- Well, and there's always more than layers. one thing going on, right? It's a sort of, right. yes, if your kid's staying up till four in the morning, they do like gaming more than they like homework and they don't care if they get enough sleep. And there may be something else or several something else is going on underneath it. 
And the one thing, I, I don't know if we, we haven't said it, but we're dealing with kids with executive function challenges. And so one of the things that helps executive function challenges is dopamine. And one of the things that risky behaviors brings to the human body is dopamine. dopamine. So there's some possibility that either probably unconsciously, I mean, part of what's going on with risky behaviors is that there's this intensity of cortisol and dopamine that you get when you do something that is out off the norm. And so a lot of times our kids need more dopamine in their lives. So there's a whole, and yes, medication, yes, exercise, yes, meditation. There's lots of ways to get more dopamine. And when you get curious, once you get to the part of what can I do about it, one of the things may be to raise your kids' awareness to their need for dopamine. But so hang on a second, because I want to pull us back into, we're talking about using the model. We're talking about the roles of the parent. After we get curious, I want to go back to that question of what do they need from us? Well, before we go there, sorry, is what's going on with us? right? It's just sort of just to take that pause and go, I am really scared for my kid's future, or this is really bugging me because this is so against everything my family always taught me or that I want for my family. I mean, so know that in this, there's a lot of stuff going on potentially with your kid and there's stuff going on with you. And and I think Mm -hmm. we said this earlier, but if you're bumping up against fear and significant value conflicts, you're not going to problem solve this in the same way as if you're able to go, wow, it's really interesting that my kid is involved in these risky behaviors, what's going on. So your ability to be curious or problem solve or anything else is going to be different if you're not aware of what's going on for you in the moment. That's a great, great awareness. So there's getting clear on what do they need from us in terms of our role, whether it's collaboration, support, you know, Probably for most of us, we're talking about stepping out of director mode and into collaborator mode. Then there's really exploring what's going on underneath their behaviors. What might be motivating those behaviors? What are they seeking? And then there's understanding what's going on with us. What are we afraid of, worried about, concerned about trying to control, right? Every time I hear a parent say to me, how do I get my child to? Yeah, that's a control thing. We're in a control situation, right? We're in director mode. And so as we move into collaboration, are we ready to talk about what they need from us yet? Well, no, <laughs> I keep interrupting you every time, right? It's a sort of, no, I I'm think that, that no, what you were just talking about, it's just sort of what they need from us is clarity. It's like this sort of, is this our agenda that we're trying to insert on them? Or is this their agenda that we're trying to help them achieve? I mean, we tend to ask that a lot when we're looking at, are we in collaboration mode or are we in supporter mode? Right. Um, what is our kids agenda? Right. So whose agenda is it or what is their agenda? What are they what are they seeking? And then there's there's also something about really listening. Once we get curious, it's it's something about really listening to them, really paying attention, not to what we think they should be doing. But, you know, we talk about meet them where they are. Where where are they? What is going on for them? And then slow down and listen, even if it's hard to hear. And I think that's a really important part, even if it's hard to hear, if we can listen, the term matter of fact is coming up a lot lately. I would say answer like a computer, right? It's just sort of just no judgment, no reaction, just 
That's really interesting. What? Tell me more. <laughs> right. I'm going to take the computer out of it just because the drone voice that came into my head when you said that didn't feel very connected. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But it's this sort of non-reactive. So whatever that is for you to be matter of fact. Yes. Right? Matter so of fact. To keep it really matter of fact and non-judgmental. To really listen to them and to ask questions, but to ask questions that you may not even know the answers to to not have to know the answer before you ask, right? To really be in that place of curiosity so that you're not drilling them for answers, but you're asking questions that allow you to understand them better. Well, and what's coming up for me is I had a parent with a kid, a daughter who was getting up in the middle of the night and was like texting with their friends and blah, blah, blah. And and it turned out that one of her friends was in really deep crisis, depression and crisis. And she wanted to be able to be available for that friend and felt like she was the only one that could help the friend, right? It's a sort of right. the, the kiddos in, in panic about their friend and they were breaking the agreements and, you know, not getting any sleep and all this other stuff, but she was doing it from a place of, I got to be there for my friend. And if the mom had been like, you must go to bed and you have to hand me your phone. And she would have never really kind of gotten to the bottom yes. of what was really going on for the kiddo. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that so much, so often. And the thing about, I want to be there for my friend is not only do we have kids who are really trying to figure out how to be friends with friends, Mm. yeah, but that was something they could do. That felt like something they could, like there were so many things in their life that they felt like they were, they were not able to do as well as they wanted, or they were disappointing or not following through, you know, and I remember this one specific conversation about a friend in need versus getting the homework done. And they were very straightforward, like, mom, I could do this. I could help this friend. And that was way more important to me than whether I turn in my math homework. And from a values perspective, I could really honor that. We still had to negotiate, okay, how did you get the math homework done? <laughs> but I, could, I wasn't coming from a place of, of blame and judgment when I understood that deeper motivation for them. And I think that's when we're dealing with risky behaviors, we have to understand that, you know, is it Ross Green says that they're a symptom right? Mm-hmm. There's a symptom yeah. of something, of a need, of a wanting for help, of something not being right. And instead of, I'm thinking about this one client who had a very classic, very textbook ADHD teenage boy. And he would do things like, you know, at 15, take the car out in the middle of the night, and like really. And on the one hand, it was maddening and, and really frustrating. But on the other hand, as she was able to get curious and learn to do this work, she was able to be in conversation with him to help him be clear of his impulsivity and what he was afraid of in terms of his friends not wanting to be with him if he, if he didn't do that. And, and so she was able to have a different kind of conversation with him that allowed them to eventually curb those behaviors. And it's, it's scary because you're like, you want to prevent it all. Right? And, and to some extent, our kids are experiential and And we can't prevent everything. We can continuously invite them to be in conversation with themselves about ever improving how they want to be with themselves. Well, and I think that there's so, I'm going to be philosophical for a second. You know, I do that a lot. Because that wasn't. That wasn't. No, 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 no. But I think that there's there's another layer to this. And I think that I talk to parents about this along a lot. It's a sort of what is your perspective about what your role is relative mm-hmm. to your kids' life's experiences? Is it your job to make sure that nothing bad ever happens to your kid? You're going to okay. handle things differently than if your perspective is, 
my kids got their own path. I have no idea what they've chosen to experience in this lifetime. And I've got to do what I can to be there and support them and trust that whatever deal they made with the universe, their higher being God, whatever, you know, is their deal and not mine, right? It's just Mm -hmm. sort of that, that's the other end of it, right? And it's just sort of grappling with what is my role? My role is to maybe educate. My role is to set the pace. My role is to, I can only help them up to a certain age or, you know, but it's, it's really grappling with what is your job mm-hmm. here? Um, no, I, you know, it's I like, think it's huge what you're talking about. I was looking for some notes because I was reading through some old notes. I did this presentation. I listened to a presentation with, in parenting, not in parenting. It was a coaching presentation that I thought was so relevant in the parenting space which is exactly what you're saying is that our job is not to prevent bad things from happening from them for them. Our job, I believe is to prepare them to handle things when tough situations arise, because we want them to be able to function in the world and tough situations are going to arise. No. And I, you know, I've, I've been dealing with that as a parent. It's like when you watch your kid, you think they're going to, they're, they're jumping off a cliff and you're like, Hey, wait, you're jumping off the cliff here. Are you sure you want to jump off the cliff? I mean, that's a hard, it's a hard place to be in as a parent, even when your kids are in their thirties or forties or, you know, it, it doesn't often change. I mean, I think that that's the thing is if you think well, about what our parents dealt with, with us, I mean, a lot of us were, I mean, you were talking about your own risky behavior. It's like, I had this new appreciation for my parents kind of, <laughs> watching me navigate, you know, challenges and risks I wanted to take or not take in my life. It's it's hard. Yeah. Here's what I do. I think does change. Like I was just having this conversation with my 21 year old son last week about learning the hard way and learning from experiences. And he's, he's an experiential learner. And sometimes it kind of bites him in the, in the tush and he knows he does it. But what I think changes is their consciousness around it and their ownership of it, right? Like what's different is I'm not going to tell him to do or not to do anything at this point. I know better than that. And he knows when he's making a choice and to take responsibility for whatever choice he's making. And he's not always going to make the right choice still. And he's aware of that, but he owns it differently. So he's not hiding it from me. He's in conversation with me about it because there's a transparency in how we talk about these issues. There's a matter of factness. Well, so I want to go back before we close up, because I know we're tight on timeline and talk about, I don't know how else to say this, really risky behaviors, right? Because I think that we've been dancing around things that are may not be at the end of things. But when we're talking about suicidal ideation, we're talking about cutting, we're talking about stuff that really does feel life-threatening. Potentially life-threatening, right? And- I think the question is kind of how to wrap up this conversation in that context, because that can be some of the hardest stuff to be dealing with here. Right. So here's what comes up as I hear that. Right. So part of our job is to help you guys be with what it is to parent hard kids, to be in a situation where it's hard to parent these kids. And there is a part of us that's about, we have to be with it, right? We have to learn. We can't control all of it. And when we're dealing with these really risky behaviors, we also have a responsibility to be in conversation with them. Mm -hmm. You know, as we've said, to do it matter of factly, to do it, I believe, transparently. There are a lot of resources on the site. We'll put some in the show notes about, you know, if you're concerned that your kid's struggling with depression or severe anxiety and may need some additional supports, 
if you're worried about their safety, like there's no playing around, right? You got to get the help and you got to ask for the help. And I believe that if we're transparent and matter of fact about it, we can have those conversations with our kids about, look, I'm going to give you the space to lead your life and do what you do. And how do you think we should handle it? What should our plan be if I start getting concerned about your health and safety? Right. right. Well, and a lot of times parents will will design around an agreement. Exactly. It's a sort of, I will give you as, you know, as much space as what, as I can. And what I need from you is for you to raise the wet red flag if you're feeling really down in, you know, in a yucky spot so that I right. can if be there we, to help you. That's right. And kids want to be able to come to us for help. Mm-hmm. They need to know that it's safe. They need to have permission. They need to know that when they do come with little things, it doesn't explode so that that gives them the space when they need to come with the big things. So, uh, you know, managing our own stuff is a big part of being able to be present for them because there is, there is this psychic pain, right? That's the only term I have for it that happens when we're watching our kids go through these really difficult and dangerous sometimes or dark journeys And they've got to sort of find the light, especially when you're dealing with kids with depression. It can be really hard hard. to witness. And that's part of our journey is that we're on this earth for whatever reason we've been placed with this kid to witness this journey. And that doesn't mean we can't intervene, but it does mean that it's really important that we learn how to be with our own issues so that we can be with them dealing with theirs. Yeah, I think that's a good place to stop. Okay. Yeah, this is hard, y'all. I'm going to take some time to go through and put some good resources in the show notes for this one because we've got yep. some great stuff on the site. And if it, this is a special one that if you're struggling with this, reach out and get some help yeah. for you because this is, I mean, we should say that at the end of every episode, but this one in particular, you know, feeling comfortable that you're walking that line and that balancing act in a way that helps you to not feel scared all day long because I think that that's what my heart is for all of us as parents is like, it's really hard to walk around being scared for your kid's future all day, every day. And so get some help for yourself in this. Um, Yeah. And that may mean having a sanity session with us or emailing the team and letting us know you need some help. We are available to either let you know if we can support you or if not refer you to someone who can. So, you know, let us know and we will, we will support you in getting you to the resource that's the best fit for you. Thanks, y'all. I'll say, have a great week. Know that you're making a difference for yourself, for your kids. Just just tune in, keep doing what you're doing, keep connecting and allow it to unfold and focus on what you can influence and inviting them to their best selves. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.